Welcome to the Crosslands Church Podcast, our mission to help you experience the life with God you've been missing. And now, a message for you. As we face another round of lockdowns, this is the time where we, as a church, need to shine. And I know, I know what you're thinking. It feels like a lot of pressure. This past week, I posted something on Facebook. Um, my brother did a run. He was, I guess, a little bored. And I, I started running, you know, not very good at it. I kind of hate it. And I haven't got myself up to 5K yet. Um, he was planning on running 85K. His Google Maps directions uh, threw him off a little bit, and he ended up doing an extra 15. An extra 15. I couldn't do 15 if wolves were chasing me. I saw a guy on, on, on Instagram, and he became quite popular on Instagram. And it started with a photo of his watch on the time he got up, and he's consistently doing that. He posts a photo of his watch almost every day, 4.30, 4.27, 4.32. You want to make the most of your day? Got to get up as early as you can. I see people post their healthy living diets and their exercise regimes, and it's like, man, I, I just can't live up to that. Sometimes I have a hard time dragging myself out of bed. What time is it? Oh, the sun's been up for two hours. Maybe you feel the same pressure. We're in lockdown. We have to be at our best, but... Maybe you don't read your Bible enough, or you don't, you don't pray enough, and you don't get the kind of exercise you know you should, and you don't eat the right kinds of food, and you're not disciplined enough, you're not smart enough, you're just not good enough, and the standard just seems inaccessible. Think of where you feel that pressure. Where do you feel that pressure? Where does the standard seem too high? We've been, we're just started in, in the book of Hebrews, and so we're going to go through the um, first couple of chapters today. Uh, we have um, the opportunity to... Send in questions on, on YouTube, whether you're here in person or you're watching online. I put it on the YouTube chat and somebody will forward it to me. Or if you have my cell number, you can text me directly. If we have time at the end, then we'll, we'll deal with that. But we talked last week, just as an introduction, that, that Hebrews, it, although it was sent around as a letter, it wasn't originally a letter. It was a sermon. It was a sermon in a synagogue, in a Christian synagogue. So I want to take us back a little bit in our imagination. Imagine, imagine I mean, this is kind of tough because we're so culturally removed from it, but imagine a, a first century synagogue, not just a synagogue of, of Jewish people, but Jewish people were recognizing that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, this is the one time a week they would get together, they would sing psalms and songs and, and have prayers, but the primary purpose, the, the, the focus of the synagogue experience was the scripture, and they would rehearse the scripture. I don't, I don't want to imply that they're teaching scripture because everybody knew it. This was their story. You know, we have a thousands of stories in our culture. We actually have a few, you know, that are just iterated multiple times, told over and over and over in different versions. You know, boy meets girl, boy gets girl, boy loses girl, boy chases girls back and gets the girl back again. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of versions of that. And so we have a, a few stories or a bunch of stories, but Israel had one story. Sure, they were exposed to the stories of the pagans around them, but they had a story and they would rehearse a story over and over and over in their daily living in the songs they would sing, and certainly in their synagogue services. They would do readings, long readings. We talked last week about how there was a calendar where over the course of three years, they would read through all of the Law and the Prophets. And every week there would be a reading. A long reading. I mean, they, if you were 12, you would pass from childhood to adulthood, and a part of the rite of passage would be to memorize huge portions of Scripture so you knew it, and now you're sitting in a synagogue service on a Saturday morning or maybe a Sunday morning if they were early followers of Jesus, where they kind of switched over. 
and there would be somebody doing a reading. And, and I can imagine what like a 12 or 13 year old would think, oh, I hope it's not Rabbi Moshe today because he's saying he reads it so boring. So you could read it boring and you could read it not boring. And I could imagine just the kids getting antsy and even the adults getting antsy. You ever fall asleep in church? Yeah, I've done it. Not usually while I'm preaching, but I've fallen asleep in church. And, and so you'd have the service that's surrounded by this story that identifies who they are. What is that story? It's we are God's chosen people, not because we're good, but because God is being faithful to Abraham, our descendant. We are the ancestor. Abraham is our ancestor. We're his descendants. And, and he rescued us from slavery. He rescued us from totalitarian domination and from, from Egypt. And, and we established a covenant with him, an agreement. We, we have these, these laws that we live by that not only demonstrate our relationship with God, but also demonstrate to the rest of the world how we are to live. We are supposed to be living up to the standard. But part of the story is that they continually didn't live up to the standard. On and on and on. They broke it, broke it, broke it. Worse and worse and worse until finally said, God said, I'm removing you from the promised land. You're going into exile. And so in exile is actually where all of these ancient stories, some of them written down, some of them not, were collected, edited, put together, and it became their scripture. That's what most scholars believe. That it was in exile that they collected all of this because they no, longer, they no longer had access to the temple. They were no longer people of sacrifice. They were people of the book. It was in the exile that they believed that the synagogue developed. And, and they wrapped their lives around their scripture. The, the, the scriptures were the stories that they rehearsed that defined who they are. And the Psalms were the songs that they sang. This is who we are. Rehearsing the story over and over and over again. And yet... We see something new happens because these Jewish people that recognize Jesus as the Messiah recognize that there's a, there's a plot twist that happens. There's a, a twist in the story. And a really good plot twist doesn't just redefine the ending of the story. It redefines the whole story. When you look back, everything means something different. The sixth sense, right? The village, the usual suspects. When you get to the end of the story, the story as it has been so far is now a different story. And that's what happens when Jesus comes on the scene and they recognize him as the Messiah. Everything that we thought was going to happen, everything we thought that was happening is shifted now because we are no longer just Abraham's children, God's covenant people. We're Messiah people. That's a lot of what Hebrews is about. We're Messiah people. And what you see happening in those early services, they, were, they did the readings. You read the law, you read the prophets, but now they were reading other things. They were reading letters from people like Paul and, and, and Peter and, and, and John and James, and they became part of the scripture, the story that they would rehearse on a weekly basis about who they are. So you can imagine, you know, that 12-year-old kid sitting there and, and Rabbi Moish is reading, and he, it's kind of boring. It's like, oh my gosh. And, and we talked last week that, that there's, you know, scholars have tried to reconstruct the background of Hebrews and, and, and are guessing that the background is, there, there's two readings on the, on the calendar. Uh, it would be... Um, Exodus 31, 32, and Jeremiah 31. Not really short chapters, but the, the, the first section talks about one of the greatest breakings of the covenant that happens in the Old Testament. And Jeremiah 20, 31 talks about the promise of renewal of the covenant. God is going to renew his covenant with us. Where his laws, his standards, are not just going to be something to attain to, but actually written on our hearts. And, and these are Messiah people, and, and, and the kids are listening to the reading, and it's long. And, and then the preacher comes on after the reading. And the preacher goes, boom, right into service. And he's, he's, he's quoting Psalms and old scripture, and he's just like, boom, 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 boom. And I think he's doing that to wake everybody back up again. And that's Hebrews 1. 
Hebrews 1, it starts with this little letter introduction. Hey, read this letter. And then it goes into the sermon because it's not a typical letter. We talked about that last week. And he starts, he starts hammering them with these psalm quotes. Mostly psalms, not all psalms. Here's a quote, here's a quote, here's a quote, here's a quote. And every quote isn't just a quote. It's not just a reference. Every quote points to a huge part of the story that because they know their story, when he says something, he's not just saying this, he's saying that. It's kind of like if I were writing a book, right? And, and I have a main character in my book. And my main character, I mean, he's the best main character. This is the kind of main character that, you know, the force is with him. This is the kind of main character that the sorting hat puts him in Gryffindor. This is the kind of main character that understands with great power comes great responsibility. This is the kind of character that stands at the front of the boat and says, I am the king of the world. I just gave you th four quotes. And most of you are going, oh yeah, I know what that means. 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 Not just the quote, but the whole package behind the quote. And we could, we really could go to each one of those Psalms and read them in their entirety and talk about the meaning of each one. And that would be a great Bible study, but it'd be a long sermon and it would take us a year to get through Hebrews. So we're not going to do that. I'll, I'll kind of bounce over them like a rock skipping over water, okay? One of the first quotes from a psalm says, this is God's son. And this is not just a, the background, there's a huge background. This psalm talking about Jesus, he's God's son, is actually a reference to a previous scripture from the law where God is promising to David, your son will sit on my throne and rule forever. That's sort of the background. And when they hear that, they go, yeah, that's what it means. The next quote says that, that Jesus, the Messiah, is worshipped by angels. And this, this was a puzzle for scholars for centuries. Because we see, quote, 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 but this is not a quote from the Old Testament. Where does it come from? Maybe it was just tradition. What's interesting is when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, they found a missing verse in Deuteronomy that wasn't in the text as we had received it. And that's what Hebrews is quoting. They were quoting the Old Testament. We had just lost it. I think that's really cool. That's really neat. The next quote talks about it, angels are like wind and fire. They are like physical phenomena that, that God created. But in contrast, the next quote, Jesus himself is associated with the act of created, creation. Everything is created through Jesus. So there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a contrast there. And the author of Hebrews, the, the writer of this sermon, isn't saying something novel. He's agreeing with Paul, who says that in Colossians. He's agreeing with John, who wrote it in his gospel. And then we get to Hebrews 1.4 which is, this is sort of the, the summary of, of all these quotes that, he, that the author is saying. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is, is greater than their names. Okay, if you're like me, at this point you're going, what the heck? Like, what are you talking about here? Why are we doing this? Why are you talking about angels? I mean, angels don't figure that prominently in Scripture, despite some people's fascination with them. Oh, sure, they're all the way throughout, but little bits. You know, they're... First time, you know, they're guarding the Garden of Eden. Okay. You have an angel conversing with Abraham and, and sort of making the judgment on Sodom happen. The angel wrestling with Jacob. You have an angel as a messenger to, to Samson's parents. Um, what else we got? You, there's a story in the, in, in the Old Testament where there's a heavenly court and God is deciding, what do I do? And the angels are deliberating. But how do we deal with the situation? There's another occasion on earth where one of the prophets, Elisha, is, is with his servant and they're trapped in the city, surrounded by the, the enemy armies. And, and Elisha says, no, we're actually, those armies are surrounded by God's armies. And God reveals that there's an army of angels. So we have, there's an army there. We see, we see them in Daniel, where they're, they're fighting spiritual warfare behind the scenes and being messengers and explainers of what things mean. 
Uh, Daniel again, God sent the angel to shut the lion's mouth. I I think that's about it. So what's the deal with the angels? I feel like Jerry Seinfeld, what's the deal with the angels? That's a really bad imitation, but that's my imitation of somebody doing an imitation of Seinfeld, so that's how I get away with it. There's two things I want to point out first. Angels have two characteristics. One is they're terrifying. Almost every time they come on the scene, they say, don't be afraid. The implication is the people that see them, they're afraid. Okay, that's something. The second thing, though, is that they represent God. There's a few ambiguous places in Scripture where we're going, is this God himself or is it an angel? So we see that in Sodom and Gomorrah. God goes to visit Abraham and all of a sudden, is it God or is it angels? God wrestles with Jacob. Is he wrestling God or is he wrestling an angel? We don't know. When God says, I will lead my people through the wilderness to the promised land, is it God leading his people or is it an angel? It actually says both. So what is it? By the time you get to the first century, where the Jewish religion had sort of evolved over time, informed by all those historical events, informed by the scripture, the, the number one idea of what angels were for, the number one purpose of angels is that the primary understanding of them is that they were the beings through which that first agreement, the first covenant was communicated to God's people. It was through, this covenant was given to us, to Moses, through angels. This is not a concept that we tend to be familiar with. Um, I had my message prepared. I read my Bible every morning as a discipline. And I did not have this in my notes. And this morning I read in Galatians 3.19. God gave his law through angels to Moses. It was there all along. I've never seen that before. It was never in there before. And all of a sudden there it is. Perfect. Quickly threw it into my message. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and people. That was the primary understanding of angels. When the author of Hebrews, when the preacher of this sermon is comparing Jesus, the Messiah, to angels, he's saying, we had a former agreement. We were covenant. We were Abraham covenant. We were Moses covenant people with God. But now we're Messiah people and Messiah is better than angels. That's what he's saying. The former covenant was given us to angels. There's a new agreement with God given to us. It was given to us. It was, it was effected through Jesus himself. And that's why all those quotes to compare them. Angels are messengers, the created beings. Jesus is God himself who creates. And then he says that he interrupts all of his quotes and says Hebrews 2, 1, 4. It's a fairly lengthy passage. It'll be on the screen. So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard or we may drift away from it. For the message God, the message of God delivered through angels has always stood firm and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? He's talking about witnesses that are sharing the message. And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. This is a how much more argument. We don't tend to do this in our culture, but it was big in, in, in the way um, teaching was done back then. So the how much more argument would be Jesus saying, look at, look at the birds in the field, look at the, or the flowers of the field and the birds of the air. God cares for them. How much more does he care for you? He also says in another part, uh, we as parents, we give good gifts to our children. How much more will God give us good gifts? Or in Luke's version, will give us the Holy Spirit if we ask. 
how much more? And that's a, this is a how much more argument, where if the first agreement with God was given by angels and disobedience resulted in punishment, how much more do we need to obey since the second agreement is given to us by Jesus, the Messiah, God himself, who is greater? Well, that's a challenge. Doesn't that just raise the standard? God's people couldn't keep the law. They demonstrate that over and over and over. Try and try and try. Here's the standard. And they failed, failed and failed. They failed to measure up. They fell short of God's glory. Okay? That's, a, that's what Paul says when he describes what sin is. Falling short of God's glory. So has Jesus just put us into a worse situation? Well, let's go on because he jumps to another quote. The next quote is, is, a, is a psalm. And it's a psalm that refers to mankind, who is man, who is mankind, talking to God, that you are mindful of him. You, you set him a little bit lower than the angels. But then it goes on, and this is applied to Jesus, that God himself, who's at the top, who created everything, stepped down into creation and took on the role of image of God, the one that we can't attain on our own. We're called to measure up. We're called to live up to the standard, and we can't. We're called to live out the image of God. We're called to demonstrate God himself, and we can't. So Jesus himself stepped lower than the angels, and he demonstrated it and made the means accessible to us. It isn't just about living up to the standard. It isn't just raising the standard, but stepping down to become a human. And that's when it goes on to the next implication. Hebrews 2, 14, 18 says this. Hang on. Now I can do it. Because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. We also know that the Son did not come to help angels. He wasn't there to reinforce that first agreement, those demands. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people, that imperfection, that failing to live up to the image of God. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are tested. You see what's going on there? First, there's a standard. Meet the standard. Jesus comes and actually demonstrates a higher standard, but then goes all the way to the bottom into our suffering, our experience, to help us when we can't help ourselves. He broke the power of death. Death is our greatest enemy. And death is expressed in multiple ways, even while we still live on earth. There are people that live, they're living hell on earth. Death is expressed in little ways, in our failures, in our frustrations, in COVID-19, in lockdowns, in broken relationship, in loneliness, in discouragement. The first covenant reveals that high standard, but a high standard alone is no comfort to somebody who's suffering. 
You're suffering and somebody says, do better. I can't, I'm suffering. A high standard alone is no comfort to someone who is suffering. Jesus doesn't just demonstrate the high standard. He provides the means to live up to it. There's no situation that you're in that is beyond the reach of Jesus. There's no experience that you've had and there's no experience that you might be having that is beyond the reach of Jesus. Because we're Messiah people. It's who we are. It's our story. We're God's second covenant people. Even if you're not Jewish, we've been, we've been allowed to come into God's covenant family. This is who we are. And right now in lockdowns, more than ever, we need that comfort that Jesus offers. Now that we're in lockdown, more than ever, we need to demonstrate the comfort that Jesus offers. We need his help because on our own, we can't do it. So we need to turn to him regularly, daily, imperfectly, right? People say, well, I've, I've, I'm just not good at this. I don't read my Bible enough. I don't know enough. Great. Give him what you have. If, you, if you're on a Bible plan, okay, and I, I think I've said this before, if you're on a Bible plan and you miss a day, just give up. No, no, just start again the next day. Just start again the next day. When you're discouraged, turn to him. When you're frustrated, when you fail, turn to him because he's here to comfort us and to help us to live out the standard. That was the whole point of him going from the top all the way to the bottom of human experience and then going all the way back up to the top again. No angel ever did that. An angel just dispensed the standard. Jesus lived it. He lived it. It's the story of crucifixion is going to the bottom. The worst death a criminal could be executed by. The suffering, the pain, the shame. And he takes all of that, the consequences of death, the power of death, and breaks it in his death. Came through to the other side. Now, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, it, it doesn't just happen. There's an invitation, an open invitation. You are forgiven of everything you've done, but you have the choice to live the life that Jesus has for you. And I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to that this morning. It's as simple as ABC. A is admitting, admitting your need. Sure, we all know that there's a standard we don't meet, meet. Even if you don't believe in God, you know that you do things that negatively affect your relationship, that negatively affect your, your future. We do them, and it's like, I can't even help myself. Because we're under the power of what the Bible calls sin, that the inability to live up. You have, we have to come to the point where we acknowledge that. We admit it. That's A, admit it. B is believe. Believe is a, is a statement of trust. It's a statement of allegiance. I'm giving my trust. I'm giving my allegiance to Jesus because I'm, I'm, I'm recognizing that he has the power over death and over my inability to meet the standard. I need his help. And then C is committing to his way. Stop trying to do everything on your own. Stop trying to live up to a standard you'll never live up to. But Jesus came to help us, to give us a life beyond what we would ever achieve on our own. And I mean it internally, a spiritual life that's lived out from the inside out. It's not lived according to a certain 
set of rules, but he gives us life from the inside out. And if that's a choice you need to make today, I want to lead you in a prayer. It's just use my words, okay? Pray something like this. Father in heaven, I admit that I'm not living up to your standard. I don't even live up to my own standard. And I need your help. I'm choosing to believe you today. I'm choosing to trust Jesus. I'm choosing to give him my allegiance. And I'm committing to him right now. I want to be one of your Messiah family. I want to wrap my life around who he is and obey his direction. And I want to thank you that Jesus was willing to come for my comfort and my help to give me that new life. In Jesus' name, amen. And if this is a decision you're making today for the first time, we all, we all need to do this together. We were not called to live our lives solo. And so connect with us. Go, go to crosslands.ca, or not crosslands.ca, go to crosslands.live and, and click the follow Jesus button. Give us your contact info because we'll help you with next steps. We need to know where do we go from here? How do I learn the following Jesus? How do I make his story my story? And this is what we can help you with. So connect with us. Give us your contact info. Are you wearing down? In a day when more than ever, we need to demonstrate what right living looks like. Are you trying to do it on your own and you just can't measure up? We need to depend on Jesus. He meets us in every situation. He's available in every experience to, to give us comfort and to give us the capability to meet the standard that God has. We are welcomed into his family. He does for us what we can't do for ourselves. So my challenge to today is on a daily basis, go to him. When you're frustrated, when you feel alone, when you're desperate, ask Jesus for the comfort and help that you need. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you that when we couldn't help ourselves, Jesus was willing to come and to die to overpower death. When we couldn't pull ourselves up, Jesus came to pull us up. And when we feel desperation and hopelessness and frustration, Jesus still offers comfort and help. Father, I pray that this week, each one of us would lean into the offer that Jesus has for us. That we would we would choose to obey. We would choose to continually identify ourselves as Messiah people. May we experience your comfort. May we demonstrate your comfort. No matter the situation and the circumstance. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Crosslands Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or the Google Play Store so that it comes straight to your device. And to find out more about Crosslands Church, you can visit us at crosslands.ca. Join us next week for another message to help you experience the life with God you've been missing.